Okay, so today we'll start with chapter 18, uh, which considers the role of priests and prophets and also talks about occults. So in verses 1 to 8, uh, we read about the role of priests. And in the second part, it talks about some of the occultic practices that are forbidden by God, which we see even today. And the last section from 15 through 22 uh, speaks about some of the qualities of prophets and how do we, uh, what is the test uh, for false prophets. Okay, so in the last few chapters uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, we have been introduced uh, to judges, uh, kings. So it speaks about uh, anointed leaders and chapter 18 uh, considers the priests and the prophets. And in chapter 16, uh, we talked about judges and we were told that the judges should judge uh, justly. Uh, they should not be biased and they should not take bribes. And we see that these uh, simple principles, uh, they can be applied uh, even today. Uh, so today, if you're looking for a good judge, uh, you hope that they will judge justly and they will not be biased uh, based on any criteria and that they will not take bribes, which might uh, influence the final decision. And last week, we talked about the king uh, in chapter 17, and we were told uh, seven qualities or seven criteria for a good king. Uh, firstly, that they should be chosen by God. And secondly, they should be an Israelite. And thirdly, they should not go back to Egypt uh, to acquire horses, or they should not put their trust uh, in horses. And fourthly, they should not uh, multiply wives, because if they are going to acquire wives uh, from foreign nations or from the pagan country, uh, it is more than likely that they will turn the kings away uh, back to idolatry. And fifthly, they should not uh, multiply wealth. And again, the emphasis is that if a king is chosen by God, they should depend on God uh, for everything. And God is the one who will give them strength and also give them victory. And sixthly, we saw that they should maintain a copy of the law. Uh, they should refer to it and they should also obey it. So the wisdom uh, that the king needs uh, to rule a nation uh, should come uh, from the uh, the law that was given to them. And finally, uh, even though they are a king, uh, they should be humble. Okay, so those were some of the qualities. And just in case, if you're curious, uh, to be a US president, you need to have three qualities, be a citizen, be at least 35 years old, and you should be a resident for 14 years. So the expectation is not very high, as you can see. So today we'll start with uh, verses one to eight, uh, which speaks about the priests. And we'll talk about uh, what is their role and also how the priests are taken care of since they are not given an inheritance or they are not given a piece of land as all the other tribes. Yeah. Okay, so the chapter begins by talking about priests and reminding us that they should they will not have any part or inheritance uh, with Israel. So we know that the other tribes were given land as part of the inheritance, or they were given a portion of the land. But for Levites, uh, they had a different role uh, to play, and we'll get to that. And Lord uh, was their inheritance. So in a way, the Levites, uh, maybe they did not get the material wealth or tangible wealth, but they got Lord uh, as their inheritance. So in a sense, they got the uh, best, uh, in, a, in a way, compared to the uh, other tribes. And it speaks about how they would be sustained uh, from the sacrifices that are brought to the temple and also the first fruits. 
And when we looked at uh, chapter 10 and also looking at some of the other chapters uh, within the book of Deuteronomy, we can see uh, some of the roles uh, that the priests played. Uh, in chapter 10, 8, uh, we talked about they carry the ark. And in the same verse, we also see that they would stand and minister to the Lord. And thirdly, they would bless uh, his name. And fourthly, in 33.10, we see that they would be the intercessor or they would offer uh, sacrifices. And 17.9, uh, we see that they would be play the role of a judge. And these two are not very common. When we think about priests, uh, we don't think about priests uh, as someone who would encourage uh, during times of battle or during war. But we read that in chapter 20. We'll read that shortly. And we also often don't associate the priest uh, as a teacher, but uh, we read in 33.10 and other places that uh, they also play the role uh, of a priest, of a teacher. So in Deuteronomy 10.8, uh, we read, at that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi uh, to bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, uh, to stand uh, before the Lord, to minister unto him, and to bless uh, in his name uh, unto this day. So it speaks about some of the roles uh, that the Levites played. And in Deuteronomy 33.10, uh, it speaks about the Levites as teachers. And it says, they shall teach Jacob thy judgments and Israel thy law. They shall put incense uh, before thee and hold burnt sacrifice upon thine altar. And again in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 7, again touches upon their role. Uh, as a teacher and as a communicator, uh, it says, For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And Deuteronomy 20, uh, verses 22 to 4, uh, we see that the Levites uh, also play the role of encouraging people uh, during uh, difficult times or during the times of war. As we read in verse 2, it says, And it shall be, when you are come nigh unto the battle, that the priests shall approach and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Uh, let not your hearts faint, uh, fear not, and do not tremble. Neither be, be, be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you. Uh, to fight for you against your enemies uh, to save you. So we see that the priests had an important role uh, within the Israelite community. Uh, they were true leaders uh, in that sense. And obviously we didn't have kings uh, at that time. So now uh, when they're going to battle, we see that the priests uh, take on that role of encouraging the people and at the same time also teaching them from the word and also taking care of the sacrifices and interceding on behalf of the people. So Levites had an important role to play. And because of that, uh, they were uh, taken away from the land that they should not be spending time uh, toiling in the land to provide for themselves. Uh, instead, they should be playing a more important role. But at the same time, uh, we also read that even though uh, they were not given any land, uh, as an inheritance or as a territory. So there was no area that was demarcated for the Levite tribe like the other tribes. But at the same time, uh, we read that 48 uh, cities uh, were given to them. 
which included uh, six uh, cities of refuge that we read about in subsequent chapters. And we've also read that before and additional 42 cities. And these cities were spread uh, throughout the promised land. And again, that speaks about God's uh, divine plan. Uh, if the Levites were concentrated in one area, then the Israelites would be deprived of all the teaching and the counsel that they could have received from the priests. And by scattering the Levites uh, throughout the land, uh, God made it, uh, God in his wisdom, uh, he made sure that there were Levites in different uh, local areas uh, who could minister to the Israelites. So we read in uh, Joshua 21, 1, 2, uh, then came near the heads of the fathers of the Levites unto Eleazar the priest and to, unto Joshua the son of Nun and unto the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. So they're essentially going to them and reminding them of the promise that was made. And they spake unto them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses to give us uh, cities to dwell in with the suburbs thereof for our cattle. So we see that, again, we see God's uh, provision. Uh, even though they were not uh, given any land, uh, obviously they will not be homeless. Uh, they were given certain areas uh, within the promised land uh, so that they could uh, live and they could also minister within the local community. And again, in Numbers 35, 7 and 8, uh, it uh, says, So all the cities which ye shall give to the Levites uh, shall be 48 cities. Uh, them shall ye give with, with their suburbs, and the cities which ye shall give shall be of the possession of the children of Israel. Uh, from them uh, that have many, ye shall give many, but from them that have few, uh, you shall give few. Uh, everyone shall give of his cities uh, unto the Levites according to his inheritance, which he inherited. So, so all of these passages uh, speak about God's design uh, for the uh, for the Levite uh, community. They will be dispersed or they will be scattered uh, in the land. And at the same time, their needs will be taken care of uh, by the people uh, when they bring the sacrifices uh, to the tabernacle or to the temple later on, and also through the first fruits that they bring. We read this in verses two to four. Uh, it says uh, people must provide for the priests, and they do that by giving the best uh, and not the leftovers or not the damaged uh, crop or not the damaged or blemished sacrifices, as we saw last week, and also the first fruits. And in verse uh, 7 and 8, uh, we read that if a priest is coming from far or if they are coming from a local community uh, to the chosen place, uh, which is Shiloh, uh, they should still be uh, taken care of, uh, even though they may be strange uh, in that place, but they should be fully taken care of. So what uh, lesson that we learn uh, from this uh, passage uh, is that even today, there are many people who are serving the Lord. Uh, who are laboring for the Lord uh, as full-time servants, or they could be missionaries, or they could be organizations that are occupied with doing the Lord's work, and they may not have the time uh, to do other things or to provide for themselves. And if that is the case, uh, it is our responsibility that we should pray 
uh, and support them, they should be taken care of. So just like the 11 tribes, uh, they took care of the Levite tribe. Uh, in the same way, uh, it is the responsibility of the church. Uh, it is the responsibility of us as members of the same body uh, to take care of those uh, who are serving the Lord and not working. So in 1 Timothy 5, 18, uh, Paul reminds us that the laborer is worthy of his reward. And obviously the laborer here uh, is the one who's laboring uh, for the Lord uh, in his vineyard. And we also see that uh, we also have been given the same title uh, as priests. And in Exodus 19.6, it says, Ye shall be unto me uh, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So it is not a title that is given to one person. Uh, it is not a title that was given to Moses. But here we are told, uh, we shall, you shall be unto me uh, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And when we come to the New Testament, uh, we see that the thought is carried forward, uh, where we are told that ye are a chosen generation, uh, ye are a royal uh, priesthood. And Revelation uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 5 and 6, uh, reminds us uh, how we became priests, uh, how we became kings. And in verse 5, it says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests uh, unto God. So this reminds us that it is through the salvation experience, uh, it is through the work that was done at the cross, that our title has been elevated. So before coming to the cross, uh, all of us were sinners, but through the work of the cross, uh, we have been given the elevated title of kings and priests. And if we consider ourselves as kings and priests, then it also comes with a high calling. Uh, it comes with a high expectation. And we should also minister unto the Lord, and we should also minister uh, unto his children. And one thing we notice is that the title of priest uh, is not given uh, to an individual but it is given to everyone within the church or everyone who is saved. And it is not a title that is given to the church leaders, or it is not a title that is given to pastors and deacons and so on. So we should not claim that title uh, for just the leaders, uh, as we see in uh, maybe in Catholic churches, and we also see it in some denominations, where the leader uh, is given the title of a priest, but when we look at the scriptures, uh, all of us are priests uh, and all of us are part of the chosen generation. So if you have gone through the cro cross, uh, it is not just the leaders who are priests, but everyone. And in the second section, uh, it takes a bit of a detour, but uh, it again goes back to the theme of holiness. And it goes back to the theme of living a life that is separated uh, from the world. And as the people of Israel were entering uh, Canaan, the Lord was warning them uh, repeatedly that they should not acquire uh, the practices uh, of the pagan nation. And here in verse 9 through 14, it reminds us of some of the occultic uh, practices that were being done uh, by the pagan. So we are told what is forbidden. And we also see that many of them are still popular. We see them uh, in cities today. 
So it again tells us that Bible, even though it was written many years back, but God in his wisdom, uh, he was able to see much uh, further ahead. And it is a warning to us uh, even today. So when we think of occult, uh, the it is something that deals with the supernatural or mystical or magical beliefs or practices. So that's the basic uh, definition. And many of us see this uh, when we are going through the cities. Uh, we see palm reading, which is very popular uh, in India. And when we pick up the newspapers, we often see horoscopes, which many people like to read uh, to see what the week will be like or what the year would be like. Uh, we see that witches uh, are very popular. Uh, yoga is getting very popular and psychic reading and so on uh, is very popular. But we see that Bible talks about all of this uh, in the book of Deuteronomy and it uh, groups them together as pagan practices that are forbidden by God. Yeah, so as we read the Bible, uh, it is very clear what we should do and what uh, we should not be doing. So the directions are very clear, and that's why Moses uh, is speaking to the people of Israel, uh, what is acceptable, acceptable to the Lord and what is not acceptable. And anytime uh, we are copying uh, what the pagans are doing, the uh, Bible says uh, that is an abomination, uh, which is not acceptable, and God expects us to be different. But as for thee, the Lord has chosen us uh, to be something else. And Deuteronomy uh, is just a summary of some of the teachings. So obviously, uh, this is not a complete list, but uh, it reminds us uh, what is considered abominable uh, in the eyes of God. And as God's children, uh, we should live a separated life, and we should not associate with any of the abominable practices of communing or connecting with demonic spirits. And it may seem like those spirits have power, but as we will see, uh, it actually leads to destruction uh, in the long term. So here Moses lists a few things. Uh, he talks about child uh, sacrifice, which was prevalent in those days uh, among the pagan communities. Uh, he speaks about divination, which is simply uh, using uh, any source uh, other than true God to find answers. So it could be a broad term uh, that we could use uh, when we use something other than God uh, to find answers to life or to find answers about the future. And observer of times, which speaks about uh, looking at the moon and sun. So astrology would be like that. And enchanter or witch speaks about charmer, which could be... Uh, we see charmers in India where they use the flute to charm the snakes and consult her with familiar spirits. Uh, so it could be the spirit of the dead or wizards, which is again associated with supernatural things. And the last one is necromancer or communicating with dead spirits, which uh, Saul actually did uh, when he tried to bring up uh, dead Samuel. And we read about that in 1 Samuel 28. So even though that practice was banned uh, at that time, uh, Saul made an exception and he went to that lady and he want, uh, and he uh, disguised himself, went to the lady and wanted to bring back uh, Samuel. So, and we also see that uh, in many cultures, they also pray uh, to dead saints. And what is dead uh, cannot be revived. 
even though we may have an illusion that those who are dead may be coming to us in dreams or coming to us in illusions. Uh, but the Bible is very clear that once you're dead, uh, you're dead and you're not going to come back till the Lord returns. So in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 33 and verse 6, again, we uh, read about some of these things and it is considered as an evil uh, in the sight of the Lord. So here it's speaking about King Manasseh and it says, and he caused his children to pass through fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also, he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with the familiar spirit and with the wizards. He wrought much evil uh, in the sight of the Lord uh, to provoke him to anger. So we also see that uh, many of the practices, like even the Halloween, uh, is also bringing back the dead or celebrating the dead. So we should not uh, participate uh, in those practices. And Galatians 5, 9 through 20, 19 and 20, uh, which has a long list of the works of flesh. And it also includes uh, witchcraft uh, as in that list of the works of flesh, which is not acceptable to the Lord. And in Daniel chapter 2, uh, we are familiar with the story where the king had a dream and he wanted uh, his uh, magicians and astrologers and sorcerers uh, to reveal that dream and they were not able to do it and Daniel was able to do it and the conclusion is uh, what we read in chapter 228 that there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. So all of these people they really don't know the secrets because they don't know the future. Uh, it is God who knows the future, the past and the present and he is the one who is able to reveal the secrets. So we should not be uh, going to these people like, like the world does. And in Exodus chapter 7, uh, 9 through 12, uh, it reminds us that that's the uh, context for that, where Moses and Aaron, uh, they were in Pharaoh's presence, and they were doing different things uh, with the rod. And one of the things that they did when Aaron cast down the rod before Pharaoh, uh, it became a serpent. And Pharaoh's wise men or magicians, uh, they were able to do the same. But in verse 12, we see that for they cast down every man his rod and they became serpents. So in a sense, uh, they were able to repeat the same thing that Aaron was doing. But we read that Aaron's rod uh, swallowed up their rods. So that tells us that uh, demons uh, also have power but God is uh, more powerful than everything that we see in this world. So we are reminded in 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So Satan has power, obviously, so he is the prince of the world, but the Lord we serve, uh, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he has given us power, which is greater than the power of Satan, uh, he has given us power, which is greater than the demons of this world. And when we did the book of Acts, uh, there was an incident uh, in chapter 16, uh, where Paul is confronted by someone uh, where we, who had a spirit of divination. And we read in 17, the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. 
And this did she many days, but Paul being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ uh, to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. So we see that the name of the Lord is very powerful and the demons uh, tremble uh, at the name of the Lord. And even back home, we know that when people are possessed uh, with demonic spirits or uh, we simply uh, pray over them uh, in the name of the Lord and the spirit uh, comes out. We see that uh, many of these practices are uh, very popular uh, even today. And people actually look for these practices because uh, they are very restless uh, within themselves and they want to know the answers uh, to the future and they want to find peace. So they want to know uh, whether they will have a job in the future. They want to know uh, who they are going to marry, whether the marriage is going to work and things like that. So people obviously have many questions just like uh, we do. So that is why all of these occultic uh, practices, they continue. And we see people making money of that through astrology, horoscope, and all kinds of tarot cards and so on. So, but we are told to seek uh, wisdom from God and not from these uh, sources. And there are serious uh, consequences of following uh, occults. And the first one is simply that we are deprived of true knowledge and guidance. Uh, when we don't go to the true source and when we don't go to the true God. So you might be able to get some uh, information which might be exciting and which might uh, please you at that point, but we are not going to get the true knowledge when we go to these sources. And secondly, uh, the penalty of death uh, is told uh, in the Old Testament, uh, as we read in Exodus 22:18. Thou shalt not suffer a witch uh, to leave, live. And again in Leviticus 20 and 27, we read, A man also or a woman that hath the familiar spirit, or that is a wizard, shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. So that's Leviticus 20, 27. And when we come to Revelation, uh, it speaks about certain people uh, who will not uh, see the kingdom of God, uh, who will burn in hell for all of eternity. And in that list, uh, we see people who are unbelievers. We see the abominable, and we also see the sorcerers, uh, which is the occult. So, and idolaters, they shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Just uh, very briefly, we see uh, two kings. The first two kings of Israel uh, were King Saul and King David. So they both were anointed by Samuel. So obviously they both had a good start, uh, so to speak, but their ending was very different. So we see Saul's ending in 1 Chronicles uh, 10, 13. Uh, it says, so Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. So here we read that uh, Saul's uh, ending was not good. And one of the reasons was uh, he didn't obey the Lord. And we are also told that, as we said before, that he sought the counsel of one that had a familiar spirit. 
So that is a warning given to us when we go astray uh, from the words of God, when we go away from God and look for alternate space places uh, to seek answers, the end uh, will not be good. On the other hand, when we look at David, uh, we read about his ending in 1 Chronicle 29, uh, 27, and 28. Uh, it says uh, he, he or David uh, died in a good old age, uh, full of days, uh, riches, and honor, and Solomon, his son, reigned in his, in his stead. So we see that David had a good life. He had a good ending. And we also see that he was able to pass on the legacy uh, to his son, uh, Solomon. The final section uh, speaks about prophets. Uh, it identifies uh, some of the qualities of a prophet and what is the test uh, for false prophets and what is the punishment. Okay, so we should not be afraid of false prophets. Yeah, so, so we see the historical context for the appointment of prophets. And it's also, we also saw that in uh, chapter 5, uh, 22 to 29. When the people heard the voice of God, they were afraid, and they said, let not God speak to us, but rather let him speak uh, through a prophet. So we see that uh, Moses uh, would be the prophet who would hear from God, and he will communicate uh, to the people. So we read that in 26 and 27, for who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God? speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived. So people are afraid uh, in chapter 5 of hearing God's voice, and they're afraid that will lead to death. So they say uh, they designate Moses as a person who will hear from God and communicate to them, and they say we will hear it and also obey or we will do it. So we see some uh, criteria for prophets. Uh, firstly, just like we saw with the king, uh, a prophet should be appointed by God, uh, but oftentimes we see uh, in today's world, uh, we see many churches that have prophets or use the title prophet, but here it's very clear that it is an appointment that is done by God, and the word must be given by God, uh, so God is the one who's going to give the word uh, to the prophet, uh, as we read in Jeremiah 1.9, uh, behold, I have put my words uh, in thy mouth. And God not only gives the word, but he also does not give freedom uh, to the prophet uh, to interpret the word uh, the way they want it, the, the way they want. So they should communicate the word that they receive from God uh, the way they received it uh, without adding to it or without deleting it or using their interpretation. So these are three uh, simple qualities that we see uh, for a prophet. They should be appointed by God and the word should be given by God, and they in turn should communicate that truth uh, or that word uh, to others. So they're not responsible for making sure that people obey or follow the words. Uh, their job is to simply uh, hear from God and pass it on to others. And in that sense, uh, Moses uh, was a model prophet. Uh, he was uh, called by God uh, and he heard from God, and he also communicated God's word uh, to his children. So he fully satisfied the qualities of a prophet. And we also see uh, a false uh, prophet in verse 20. So they are the ones uh, who would speak uh, before hearing from God 
or they would say that we heard from God, which is actually not true. Uh, in that sense, uh, they would be false prophet, or they would speak uh, in the name of other gods, which would also make them a false prophet. And the chapter concludes by reminding us uh, what is the test uh, for a false prophet. So if their prophecy is something and the prophecy doesn't come true, then they would be a false prophet. So we know that many people have prophesied in the past that the rapture will take place uh, on a certain date. And obviously that did not happen. So they would be examples of a false prophet. But at the same time, uh, if the prophecy that they said uh, came true, uh, that does not make them a true prophet. Uh, as we saw in Deuteronomy 13.1, uh, they were able to prophesy about things that will come true, but still they were not uh, true prophets. And secondly, uh, they should have the Spirit of God, as we read in 1 John chapter 4. So if they don't have the Spirit of God, then they would be false prophet. And in 1 John 4, it says, Beloved, uh, believe not uh, every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So we need to be careful because we hear uh, many things uh, through radio, TV, and so on. And we read uh, many things that are written by different people. It could be a blog or it could be a commentary, whatever it is. But many of them could be false teachings uh, coming from false prophets. So we need to be careful. So in 1 John 4, it says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Uh, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come uh, in the flesh, flesh uh, is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh uh, is not of God. So the criteria here uh, is that uh, Lord Jesus Christ uh, took on the human form and he came into this world. And we also know that he died on the cross and he rose again the third day. So that is the gospel message uh, that we preach that is given to us in the Bible. So if you go to a church that doesn't preach the gospel of Christ, then obviously that would be a wrong place uh, to be continuing. And we should exit quickly. So close with this, uh, because verse 18, uh, many see it as a prophecy uh, about Lord Jesus Christ, where it says, I will raise them up, a prophet from among their brethren, uh, like unto thee, and will put my words uh, in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And that was uh, fulfilled uh, in the words of Jesus himself. Uh, in John 12 and 49, it says, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. In that sense, uh, Jesus was also, took on the role of a prophet where he was hearing from his heavenly Father, and that is what he communicated or that is what he taught during his time here. It was validated also by the witness of people, as we read in John 6.14. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, uh, that prophet that should come uh, into the world.